stay tuned for the new normal radio hour. Good evening, everyone. It's Wednesday, March 31st. I'm Marianne Petrillo, CEO of West Business Development Center, and you're listening tonight to the new Normal Radio Hour. Our episode tonight closes out a month-long awareness campaign across the country on Women's History Month. The theme this year was Choose to Challenge. And tonight, extraordinary women who have chosen to challenge the status quo and focus their careers on giving voice to women, especially those in underserved community. Their profession and their passion is focused on investing in women and closing the wealth gap, two areas that we should all be paying close attention to as we seek out ways to lift up our economies after the devastation brought about from the global pandemic. Claudia Vick is founder of Women Entrepreneurs Initiative, a network of women business leaders committed to changing the status quo of chronic underfunding for resources and capital for women entrepreneurs. She has a long career that demonstrates leadership and advocacy in gaining recognition of the role that microlending plays in stimulating the economy and helping all small businesses. Serena Khan is CEO of the Women's Foundation of California, a nonprofit dedicated to achieving racial, economic, and gender justice through community action. She is also a founding advisor for the Closing the Women's Wealth Gap Initiative and a member of the Policy Committee for Northern California grant makers. Before we begin, let me remind you that we will open the phone lines at around 7.30 to take your questions, so jot these numbers down. You may call us at either 707-895-248 or 707-621-8001. Claudia and Serena, thank you so much for joining me tonight. You each have traveled a different professional path, but one that has found you both deeply engaged in fostering women's entrepreneurship. Claudia, why don't we start with you? Maybe give us a little bit about your background and kind of how you found yourself on this road. Yes, it's interesting. Um, thank you, Marianne and Serena. I'm so glad to be here tonight, too. And I love Mendocino, and I wish I could be there watching the sunset with all of you. Um, I actually, I don't think you know this about me, Marianne, but I actually started out as a community organizer in the Tenderloin, and I ran a community center there. And I saw what happened when people were allowed to, you know, own, when actually nonprofits owned the housing where people could live and how it preserved the diversity and, the, and places for low-income people to live and people on the margin. And so... Um, when I was called to become the CEO of um, the Renaissance, it was a different organization, more employment and training. When, was, when I was called to run Renaissance, I was um, intrigued by the whole notion of the Entrepreneurship Center, which was a very nascent little uh, class. And so um, I took the job, not knowing at all really having what I call business background, but I realized running a nonprofit was fairly close and it turned to be true. If you know cash flow projection, you know you know what you need to know. So um, that was back in the late 80s and we were one of the first entrepreneurship programs in the country and I built it into the Renaissance Entrepreneurship Center, which is flourishing today, I'm happy to say. And um, during that time, we actually started a women's business center funded by the SBA, similar to the West, uh, West uh, Business Development Center. In fact, we started the same year. Um, Sheila Rogers and myself were peers. We would write little notes to each other. <laughs> we would call each other from time to time. Um, and after 14 years there, I did some consulting work, building equity in Bayview Hunters Point and, and in, again, in focusing in low-income communities. 
And then I be, took over at Cameo, which stood for, stands for the California Association for Microenterprise Opportunity. And um, that's uh, like a trade association for all of the uh, entrepreneurship and nonprofit lenders in the state. Um, and after 10 years there, I just felt like I wanted to focus on women. Trump had just been um, elected and I just felt, what could we do to bring um, Democrat and Republican women together? What better, you know, what better uh, cause than women's entrepreneurship? So I started from scratch the Invest in Women Entrepreneurs, um, invited my my colleagues from the last 30 years to join a steering committee and advise me and began to look for projects where certainly yeah. not there were a lot of projects, but look for uh, ways to focus on developing more uh, resources for women entrepreneurs, particularly access to capital. And I just want to give out one piece of data now. I don't know if people realize that women still only get 4% of commercial loans. And that's just so pathetic. And then you look at funding for women's business centers. It was like $12 million or $14 million out of the whole country. You know, when we have, um, you know, many millions of women, uh, 12 mil 11 million women businesses at the time. So I just felt that this is the area I could focus on to build the capacity and get the word out about the fantastic uh, contribution that women yeah. businesses make to local economies, Great. like Mendocino County, for example. We uh, will we'll talk a little bit more about the Women's Business Center um, and the Renaissance Entrepreneurship Program that you mentioned uh, that's located in Oakland and San Francisco. San Francisco yeah. Mm -hmm. right, right. Yeah. Um, Serena, uh, Women's Foundation of California, you, you obviously uh, had a, a journey getting to the point of where you're at now. And, you know, just like Claudia, you know, so much of your own personal experience goes into what you do today and how you're helping women. Can you tell us a little bit about that? background. Sure. Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much, Marianne, for inviting me to be on your show. And Claudia, it's wonderful to be here with you. Um, I, you know, came to California about 21 years ago. And I like to say that I'm a Californian by way of Connecticut and Pakistan, which is where I was born. Uh, so my family migrated to the United States in 1973 when I was five years old. And um, and uh, my journey has been, you know, um, the, the personal part of my journey is what got me to where I am professionally in terms of caring for gender justice, racial justice, and economic justice issues um, coming out of a family that was what I define as um, modern by Pakistani standards and conservative by uh, U.S. standards and modern in the sense that they it was important to them to educate their daughters and their sons for my parents. Some of the youngest of six uh, kids and uh, I have three sisters and two brothers and so um, they decided on Connecticut because they had uh, fam friends there and um, and uh, there was a good public education system there. Uh, but on the other hand, they were conservative by U.S. standards in that they, um, you know, believed in they were part of a Republican Party. And and so for me, that was the path that I was on until I came out as a lesbian, which is what really politicized me and got me into nonprofit activism, at, at first in the LGBTQ movement, and then in the women's rights and gender equality and gender justice movement. So I came out to California in 2000 and um, started working at the Women's Foundation in 2005. Uh, uh, first, actually, as a volunteer in 2004 on the Grants Review Committee. Um, and then in 2005, I became a staff person uh, as a senior program officer, went on to lead our program work as vice president of programs. I left for a few years uh, to go back east to 
I had an opportunity to work for the Ford Foundation to design and launch their LGBTQ rights initiative, um, but never intended to leave California fully because my partner is a professor at UC Irvine. And so we were always, you know, going to stay here. And I love California so much, especially this Mendonoma coast where I'm currently been sheltering in place since the pandemic hit. Um, And the Women's Foundation California was founded in 1979. um, Because at that time, our founders recognized that only 1% of all philanthropic dollars were going specifically to women and girls. And so they you know, knew that that was not nearly enough and took matters into their own hands and took action, raised money and got it out into the community uh, to basically improve the health, safety and economic prosperity of all Californians, but centering gender and race as a way to do that. Um, So I'm just so... uh, feel so fortunate that I found the Women's Foundation California. And when I came back from New York, from the Ford Foundation, into this role as CEO to be able to lead such an important institution. And what we do is invest in, train, and connect community leaders to advance racial, economic, and gender justice. And so I'm sure we'll talk more about that as we get into the program. So I'll stop here for now. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that. And it's just, you know, hearing both of you uh, speak, you know, it just, again, always fascinates me that, you know, there is a reason why we continue to talk about this, because there isn't equity here, and there is, continues to be these issues. I mean, so, you know, 1% is going to women and girls funding, and that was back in whatever you said, the 80s. I mean, I'm sure it's not greater now. It's better and it's getting better but it's a constant work on many many peoples and not just women and men everybody is really working on this issue because we do know how important it is and that's why we wanted to talk about this today um that leads me um claudia to talk a little bit about um the women's business centers and what has been happening with them because it is a obviously national but California, the California networks, I mean, I'm pr- very proud to be one of those um, centers, but mm-hmm. they've gathered together and are doing some really incredible things. You want to talk a little bit about that work? Yes, thanks. Yes, I feel very privileged to be the advocate, the statewide advocate for the California Women's Business Centers Network, which is made up now of 16 women's business centers throughout the state. Although, unfortunately, there is no center in the Central Valley, which is, seems hard to believe, but that's the case. Uh, but we do have as far north as um, Siskiyou County and as far south as San Diego and uh, Imperial Counties. Um, the uh, centers have really been pulled together since the COVID pandemic into a, uh, a really strong network. It's partly due to the ability to get state funding, and that has been the impetus to the state funding kind of matches the SBA grants that come to these women's business centers. They're still tiny grants. They've been capped at the same amount as they were 32 years ago. Can you imagine not getting a raise for 32 years? Well, (laughs) women know how to make it work, which is sometimes a good thing, and sometimes it works against us. We can talk about that later. But but the Women's Business Centers provide training, coaching, um, connection to resources, access to capital. Um, Last year, uh, the uh, Women's Business Centers leveraged $50 million in capital for uh, roughly 9,000 small businesses and um, really very small amounts. You know, we're talking five, 10, 25,000 micro loans, essentially, through the nonprofit lenders, some through banks. And I know that many of the people listening here today uh, are entrepreneurs themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we say that they're small loans, but those small loans can turn around a business like remarkably and especially with COVID help them get to the next level. So, right. And um, we can so talk more about those resources if you want to later too, because I am pretty familiar with what some of the new resources are that are out there, just like I'm sure West company has been promoting to the community. Um, Absolutely. So, um, so the women's business centers are, 
are operating virtually now, but they are centers where people can go and get support. And what really makes them special is they work with the, whole, the woman as a whole within the context of her family, her household, where she is. You know, I, I remember my own experience running Renaissance when I was doing some consulting with a, a new startup and the woman was really having trouble um, doing her business plan. And it, she finally burst out crying and said, you know, I really want to have a baby. I, I really want to do that and is pulling me away from starting a business. And so I just had to reassure it was okay to have a baby. <laughs> so you can always get back to doing the business another time. But it's that, you know, that just doesn't happen with a regular business consultant. In fact, she was embarrassed that mm -hmm. that was the case. So, it's definitely a holistic approach yes, to And that's training. the secret sauce that I say it. And we have to be, I think we used to be very uh, shy about talking about that, and now we're really proud of that, and we we lean in with that. And that's what the testimonials coming from the women who are enormously successful have pivoted their businesses. I've met a few of them here in Mendocino County, and they say that the Women's Business Center made all the difference for them. It was a place they could really unload and talk openly about their fears. That leads me, actually, Serena, to talking about some of the programs that you've developed and that you mentioned uh, through the uh, Women's Foundation, uh, in particular, uh, the Women's Well-Being uh, Index. Mm -hmm. um, if, uh, for the listening audience, if you haven't seen this, you, you really need to look at this website. It's, and it's the California Women's Well-Being Index, and it's just a fascinating mm -hmm. data. Um, you want to talk a little bit about how, how that even came into being? Yeah, I would love to. Um, this is a partnership that we uh, entered into with the California Budget and Policy Center, which is a longtime partner of ours. And um, around 2015, when I, you know, was just getting started in my role as CEO of Women's Foundation California, Chris Haney, who's the executive director of the California Budget and Policy Center, came to me with this idea of doing, you know, deepening our partnership and doing something jointly that would look at the well-being of women in California. And um, they are obviously the data and research people. And we had the connections to movement leaders. And so it was, it's been a wonderful partnership. We're an outreach partner at this point, um, along with many other organizations and, and anybody can really connect with the Budget Center. It's open source. You can put the Wellbeing Index on your website. Um, and we decided, it, at the time, it was the first um, of its kind in the country, an online, um, you know, set of data that is derived from um, the American Community Survey and the California Health um, Information Survey. Um, and uh, it basically has five dimensions, which are safety, health, economic security, employment and earnings, and political empowerment. And um, we released it the first time in 2016, and the updated version came out just last year. So as we know with data, um, it gets old fast. Um, so this data is still very interesting. I think one of the things that really stood out to me when it first came out is that um, that, you know, so in, in, in all those five areas that I mentioned, health, safety, economic security, employment and earnings, and political empowerment, there's six indicators under each of those. Um, and so for me, the thing that really stuck out, there's a lot of great data, but one of the things that really stuck out to me is that for a single mom, uh, the cost of childcare and housing in every one of California's 58 counties added up to more than what she was bringing home every month. So that obviously leaves no money for other basic necessities like food, clothing, transportation. And so she's going into debt just trying to pay for those two line items in her budget. So, for example, 
you know, I'll just tell you that, that what's good with the good news is that, that that's gotten a little better with the new release of the well-being index. So, for example, um, in Mendocino County, the cost of housing, the median sort of cost of housing is about 36 percent of a single mom's income. But if she has kids, uh, her, she's paying more than 78% for childcare. So you can see, again, like the, the numbers just don't add up. Uh, and so what's good about the data, even though we want to see better data, um, is that we know what the baseline is. And we know from advocates that we really should only be, you know, families should only be spending about 10% of their income on childcare. And what's especially great is today, of course, we heard from President Biden about his new infrastructure plan. And there's 400 billion dollars included in that plan that is going to the care infrastructure. Uh, and that is pretty significant. So we have a real opportunity to change things here. The other thing that I just want to point out um, in terms of this data is food insecurity, which is such a real issue during the times that we're living in with this pandemic. So, you know, in terms of this data, this is again, pre-COVID, but almost 36% of residents of Mendocino County were, were food insecure. And of course, those numbers have gone up. Um, and so we really need um, a systemic approach to solving some of these problems, to change our systems so that our families and communities are cared for and don't have to work for poverty wages. And so the well-being index allows us to um, you know, look at that and set some set some goals as a state. What is our feminist agenda for California, which is what we're interested in doing? And so this is a tool that has been very useful for our Women's Policy Institute um, fellows and alum network, as well as our grant partners, policymakers, and for philanthropy to be able to set their priorities in terms of how they're going to change um, and and make change happen based on some of the data that's in the index. And it's broken up by every single county in, mm -hmm. the, in the every state. Every single county, so, yeah. So you yeah. can... Yeah, you can get a you can you can sort of see a heat map. It changes colors based on like red is bad, blue is good, uh, and um, and you can download a PDF uh, document for every county. So you can look at one county altogether, or you can look at a particular issue area and see how the different counties kind of match up. What do you see? Uh, and this is an open question for either Claudia or Serena, but you know. Uh, are you sensing there are most the most pressing need for working women? Is it is it the childcare issue? Is it the housing issue? Is it healthcare? I'm I'm sure you're going to say all of the above. But in in terms of prioritization, how does a how does a county or even a community start to prioritize some of the needs that are out there? I mean, I I from my point of view, I think housing, childcare. Um, and and quality jobs um, are really important. And of course, all of these issues intersect. And so, um, you know, in order to get a quality job, you know, you need to be able to go to work, to get to work. Transportation is important. Healthcare obviously is important. Education, after school programming, all of these things, you know, connect with each other. And so we have to be looking at, sort of the whole person, as Claudia was saying earlier, is that, you know, we, we look at the whole person and what does that person need? Um, and so nobody should be working three to four jobs just to make ends meet, not be able to save for an emergency, or, you know, even better, like to save for something that brings pleasure, to take a trip, to take a vacation, um, to take a day off. Uh, so all of these things matter, but the, ba the we have to cover the basics. We, we should not be living in a state where so many people don't have housing. Right. So Claudia? I agree with your priorities, Serena, and I think you've made the case for why entrepreneurship or micro-enterprise is so important because it's interesting, the study that was done by a Association for Enterprise Opportunity called Bigger Than You Think a few years ago showed that the average income from uh, a micro enterprise in a household was $13,000 a year. Well, 
you know, some people may think that's too low, but in fact, that money, that's money that comes into the household from self-employment, often home-based, uh, home-based business, whether it's selling on Etsy, whether it's um, sewing, or it could be childcare, it could be um, some catering, uh, making the muffins for the local cafe. Everybody knows somebody who does that. And in, in the rural areas, it's 95% of the jobs are the micro-businesses and self-employment. Anyway, this income is what helps you buy a home, save for the down payment, or send your kid to college. So it's not, it's not insignificant, and it's important to be able to support that and help folks grow that small business. And during the pandemic, when women have had to come out of the workforce or they've been running a business and now they have the children at home as well, it's even more important to find ways to support their their growth, help them digitize, you know, get on to uh, the, um, not digitize, what's the word I'm looking for, um, help them uh, get their business on the internet more effectively, right. which is what the Women's Business Centers do, for example. Um, and also look at new ways of marketing themselves, uh, pivoting their business, which um, I have seen so many amazing stories of, of women who've done that. And to get the support, too, so you're not alone. Right. One of the things... So that's what I was saying. That is what... It isn't an excuse for, for not having affordable child care, but it has been a way that women and families have supported themselves to be able to make it. And, and one thing uh, folks might not realize, you know, West Business Development Center as an entity, as a nonprofit entity, and you know this, Claudia, has been around for 30 years. And its origins were specifically about women economic self-sufficiency training. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea and approach and its origins that started with Sheila Rogers and then with Pamela Patterson was to raise women on up to be good entrepreneurs and to be self-sufficient in their, mm -hmm. you know, economic livelihood. I mean, so that's that's its roots. Now, of course, we serve all small businesses in Mendocino County, but its roots were there, its origins were there, and and I so I think that's why we also always approach everybody we work with as in a holistic way. Mm -hmm. um, but for women, it just is. It, it changes, as both of you are saying, it changes everything. It changes the dynamics. It changes everything in their household and their future. Yes, when we use the word empowerment of women, which is so key to both um, the Women's Foundation and to West Company and Women's Business Centers, it really means getting control over the growth of well, your household income, the growth of your business, as well as the political empowerment or community stakeholder building that is so often the result of that kind of work. Mm -hmm. um, when, when someone is able to increase their income, the first thing I have found in working with so many women is after they take a vacation, they'll buy a home or increase their equity in some way. And then that leads to increased uh, feeling as being a stakeholder in your community and participation, which adds to the quality of life. Yeah. Um, tell me, um, Serena and, and, and Claudia, um, do you see things changing? So you mentioned about Biden's um, you know, plan and the money that's there, but <laughs> appropriations on floors and dynamics and it getting into the hands of people to do the work that they need to do. Is that going to be a long journey? Is that a hard journey? Can sh things shift still? I mean, where where do we where do you think we sit? I mean, all ball. of this all of this is a long journey. Um, it, the the problems that we face as a state and as a country and as a as a as a globe is um, they're they're long term multi generational problems. They will take a long time to solve, and that's why it's really important to develop a pipeline of leadership to continue solving them. So the good news is that you know California is a leader in 
the United States. And um, the saying, as goes California, so goes the nation, gives me great hope because California is a leader in passing progressive policy reform. And um, and I think, you know, I can say with confidence that the Women's Foundation California has played a great role in that because for the past 18 years, we have been training grassroots community leaders to be public policy advocates through an experiential training program that is our Women's Policy Institute. And so these fellows who are organized in terms of issue areas of health, gender-based violence, reproductive justice, environmental justice, economic justice issues have been successful in passing 43 of their policy projects into law that have been signed by various sitting governors over the years. Um, and these are things like the Domestic Worker Bill of Rights, um, the, you know, increased access to subsidized child care. So if you're taking ESL classes or you're getting your GED, you're eligible for subsidized child care because that's now recognized as a form of job training. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one of the bills that was passed in just recent years and signed by Governor Newsom, it was initially vetoed, it got to the Governor Brown's desk and it was vetoed by him, was that every publicly funded university in California, so the Cal State system and the University of California system, has to provide medication abortion through student health centers. So that's game changing at a time when, you know, reproductive rights, particularly during the former presidential administration, were being rolled back. Uh, and here in California, we were able to expand access to abortion coverage. So, so the good news is that we have, you know, we've trained six, almost 600 leaders. Each one of those leaders is connected to thousands of people in their own right. network. So it's a simple math equation to realize mm -hmm. that we can activate millions of people just through the Women's Policy Institute network. And there's so many other networks across mm -hmm. the state, the Stronger California network and, and others who are working in a coordinated way to advance um, reforms where they are needed. And so I think that, you know, it's a long road, but the road is full of incredible uh, movement right. leaders who are trained and equipped and working in concert and supporting each other, um, which is allowing California to be the kind of state yeah. that, you know, we hope that, you know, other states will model. Our Women's Policy Institute is being replicated in Mississippi and Birmingham, Alabama right now. So, you know, we have That's the great. potential to have a network across the country. So we, you know, we have a lot of work to do, but I think that there's hope um, for certainly at the federal level now uh, and at the state level, we have been going strong for a long time. And a great amount of young women taking up that leadership challenge. Uh, you know, I obviously have a, I have a young woman daughter who is 30 years old who when all of her friends come together, it is just remarkable what they share, what they know, their knowledge, and how active they are. All of them holding down full-time jobs, all of them holding down households and working, and just committed to community activism. So it's it's really, um, it always gives me hope when I see all the uh, them together and hear them. Um, if you are just tuning in, I'm Marianne Petrillo, CEO of West Business Development Center, and you are listening to the New Normal Radio Hour. My guests are Claudia Vick, founder of Women Entrepreneurs Initiative, a network for women business leaders committed to changing the status quo of chronic under-resourced women entrepreneurs. Serena Khan is CEO of the Women's Foundation of California, a nonprofit dedicated to achieving racial, economic, and gender justice through community action. Our topic tonight is investing in women. If you would like to ask a question or share a challenge, or if you're an entrepreneur and want to tell a story, please call our phone line at 707-895-2448 or 707-621-8001. So with that, I, I did pull, um, I was reading this book recently about 2030 and you know they were making predictions about the future and I love this um, gender fact that I pulled out which is currently today 15% of the wealth 
is in the hands of women today. But they predict that by 2030, 55% of the wealth will be in the hands of women. What do you guys think? True? <laughs> False? 55% percent they're predicting that in 2030, 10 years from now, 55% of the world's wealth will be in the hands of women. Hmm. I think I think that's right. Um, I know that, um, this is that the, the numbers that I have seen are that about $80 trillion over the next, maybe it's the next decade, I think it might be longer, a little longer than that, is going to be transferred. The transfer of wealth is going to be in the hands of women um, in the near to long-term future. And so I think that's potentially good news. It doesn't mean that all women um, are, you know, interested in advancing racial, economic, or gender justice. Um, but I think that our odds are better than if that transfer of wealth was going in another direction. So I think that it is good, and it's particularly important now because um, we have a lot to rebuild based on the year that we have just lived through. So, you know, women in the women's participation in the workforce has dropped to 57% currently, um, which is the lowest level since 1988. And this is data that um, the National Women's Law Center released recently. And one of the main drivers of this disparity is the increased burden of unpaid care. So, you know, women are having to take on um, so much in addition to continuing to work if they have a job. They're, you know, cooking, cleaning, taking care of kids, distance learning, potentially elders in the household. And so the recent projections um, that estimate that employment for women may not recover to pre-pandemic levels until 2024, mm -hmm. which is two full years after recovery for men. And for Latinx women, they face an unemployment rate of 6.5%. That's more than double that of Latino men. So what we know is that this pandemic has been very gendered. Uh, because in California, we're the wealthiest state in the nation. We're the fifth largest economy in the world. And at the same time, we have the highest poverty rates in the nation, particularly mostly in the Central Valley. And who's living in poverty? It's mostly women of color and their kids. So in terms of the pandemic, you know, we know that the, you know, two thirds of tipped workers, two thirds of minimum wage earners, and two thirds of part time workers are women. Mm -hmm. so those are the people who have lost their jobs. And at the other end of that spectrum is that 80% of the healthcare workforce or essential workers, our grocery store workers are women and majority women of color. And so this pandemic is very gendered. And so I think this, you know, linking together, we have this opportunity to reimagine, redesign, restructure and rebuild a California that really works for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and included in that is this, you know, philanthropic philanthropy has to support the, the goals of the community. And so I think this transfer of wealth over the next several years will potentially really help, but government has to do its part too. And so much, Claudia, what you've been doing, Claudia, with micro-lending and financial understanding for women is really essential. Well, let me jump in a little bit here because mm -hmm. I think that 58% is um, – it's really hard to kind of get your mind around it. And I can only think that women live longer and are living mm -hmm. much longer. Mm -hmm. And women are flexible in terms of how they will bring income into their households. And also because, um, and I think that this is the negative side that Serena didn't touch on, because we have wealth so, um, is so bifurcated and getting worse in our, in our, country. I hope the Biden administration will be able to address that through the various uh, issues that we touched on, you know, a little while ago that Serena described in the new bill. Um, and I'm hopeful because of the interest in small business, which is very bipartisan, that we will continue to see more investment in small business and the organizations that support them. So I am feeling optimistic and we are, we are seeing 
a lot of capital going to the nonprofit lenders that are reaching people in communities. Um, and uh, I think that, but I think in terms of that wealth accretion, I think it may end up being in that very bifurcated, uh, uh, what is it called? Amelia, mm -hmm. you know, our, our society. And um, I don't know whether there's going to be more equality in 2030 than there is now. And I think entrepreneurship is one way to make that happen. That's why yeah. I'm such a uh, passionate proponent of entrepreneurship and for women in particular. But I think for everybody, self-employment has um, oh, brings out the best in a lot of people. And, um, I've seen Claudia, can you talk a little bit, because you have been really on the front lines in Cameo as well as in all the other um, uh, areas that you've been working in, in advocacy and how important that is of, you know, talking to your leaders, your government leaders, your, you know, local, state, federal agencies. Talk a little bit about that, um, because I think that has a, a big impact and one that we could all get behind. Yeah, we're, we're starting to see that impact both in our state and also nationally. And as Serena said, I think California has been leading that very much. And um, we now have much more leadership at the national level and, and many more women's business centers have just been funded. And that's all due to increased visibility and also being able to articulate our economic impact and have the data to do that. So, um, uh, in California, the we have been um, working to get state funding for the first time two, two years ago to get state funding for women's business centers. And it was uh, kind of a fluke. We had somebody who knew what we needed and he happened to be in the right job at the right time and there was an opening and he went in there and created the technical assistance expansion program. And that became a source of state funding for women's business centers that we are building on as we speak <laughs> um, in the next year's budget to expand that program and to create more access to capital for women in particular. So we have a proposal for a women's capital access program. There has been one for three years for the small business development centers, but there's been nothing, there's been no parity for the women. And that's one thing that I'm very excited about working on. So um, we are a very, women's business centers are not known. Many of them are kind of buried within a community college or a state college or another organization, and people don't know that they even exist in their communities. So our goal with the California Women's Business Network, which you're part of, um, Marianne, because you've advised me on the communications, is to become a household word so that people, when they think of women entrepreneurs, they think, oh yeah, Women's Business Center, have you been there or have you checked that out? Or, um, and that will be a real force for change in that direction. Yeah, one of the things that I think I have seen, and I'm sure you both have, is, you know, there's something about when women get together to try to do problem solving. It just, it just is different. And it's not to say that one is right or one is wrong or, you know, um, but when women get together to problem solve, they really do um, take Oh, they kind of look at every angle there is and try to find solutions that they can do with the resources they have. Um, so that's, that's both um, good and sometimes bad because it limits them and, and we don't, and that's one of the things that we try to do in our advising capacity is not to, not to encourage them to limit themselves, but to go after the funding, the grants, the opportunities that exist. But um, but they do have a way of looking at you know all sides of uh, for a solution, and I think that um, you know you can see that I'm sure in the leadership, the women that you've worked with over the years, uh, whether it be in advocacy or in um, the foundations that you've you know, worked with. It's, it's amazing how many times, literally, I've either been in a ladies' room during a conference or something, 
or around the kitchen table, literally around the kitchen table, where we just start talking about things bothering us, and then we just decide we're going to do something, and it happens. It's just, it's beautiful. But as you said, it's also kind of limiting because we're seen as small and therefore insignificant. Even though women businesses are ubiquitous, because they don't make a lot of money, only less than 2% of women-owned businesses have revenues of over a million dollars. And a million dollars isn't even that much money anymore. So we're seen as small and therefore insignificant. And that's why the challenge is to really lean in to get the data and then be very assertive about how we present it. And um, we certainly don't lack in perseverance. Um, just the talent and the creativity and also the younger women too, not being um, as used to having to make do with what you've got. I just, I used to be that way. I'm saying, oh, you're only giving me crumbs. Oh, let me think how I can make a, a cake out of those crumbs. Well, I'm over that. <laughs> I'm also older, so I'm over that. And I want to see my energies be put into supporting young women to really lean in and think bigger about what they can be. Do you have any programs, Serena, uh, that is targeted specifically to a younger uh, generation of women leaderships coming up? Yeah, absolutely. We have a Young Women's Initiative, which actually we do in partnership with um, nine other women's foundations across the country. So New York, Western Massachusetts, D.C., Birmingham, Alabama, Mississippi, Texas, Minnesota. Um, and, you know, it basically centers young women of color, uh, and we think about women in an expansive way, so cisgender women, transgender women, gender nonconforming, gender nonbinary people, uh, because we believe, and this is really the, the belief of our founders at the Women's Foundation California, that people who are closest to the problems in their communities are also closest to the solutions. And so if they had the resources um, to figure out how to, you know, implement those solutions, if we're living, you know, when you think about, you know, single moms in Mendocino County who are paying 78% for childcare and, you know, more than 30% for housing, they probably have some good ideas about how to fix some of those problems. Um, so we really center young women of color in particular um, uh, to really think about what are the problems in their communities, what are the barriers that they're facing, and then how can they um, recommend policy solutions. So it's a partnership between government, between philanthropy, and between community organizations. And um, I just think that's so important because women are underrepresented uh, in every sector, no matter where you look. Even where I work in the nonprofit philanthropy sector, you know, it's somewhere we have sort of this like, you know, 18 to 25 percent problem, which is generally the numbers that we see in California. I think, you know, at the state level, we've reached 30 percent women in public office at the in the state legislature, which is which is good. But it's not it's not parity. It's not reflective of California's communities relative to gender. And similarly, you know, in Mendocino County, there's five supervisors, county supervisors, only one is a woman. Um, uh, we're seeing good progress in other places. Now, LA County, with the election of Supervisor Holly Mitchell, formerly Senator Holly Mitchell, who's also a member of the Women's Foundation California Board, when she was elected to the LA County Board of Supervisors, that made that Board of Supervisors 100% women. Uh, which is um, the first in in the nation. And so it will be interesting really to follow that, to see what kinds of decisions they make, particularly because LA County was so, you know, badly impacted by the COVID-19 virus. Um, and so, for example, I mean, I can give you a couple examples of the young women who are making change in different parts of the state. So, People, you know, A. Eunices Hernandez, who is a graduate of our Women's Policy Institute, and along with Diana Zuniga, who's also a graduate, 
they went up against the LA Board of Supervisors um, that had earmarked $3 billion to build a new jail in LA County. And these young women of color said, no, we, we don't, we, you know, they have, they come out of, you know, families that have had people in and out of the criminal justice system. And they were successful in convincing the LA Board of Supervisors to reallocate $3 billion of the county budget. Um, and just recently, you may have heard of Measure J um, in, in LA, which um, allocates $1 billion towards community services and mental health. So what we need to do is support the community, not lock people up. Mm -hmm. um, and they built an incredible coalition. Uh, and as and now AUNISA sits on our board um, because we need that kind of leadership and vision of young women because they are our future. Right. I'd like to actually kind of come back to um, the rural area and Mendocino and um, echo some of these same, uh, I wouldn't call it a trend exactly, but these opportunities that young women and, and older women, you know, across uh, age can get together and really make some big changes. You have broadband now. I think when I first started coming up here, there was no broadband. You do have that now. And that makes a huge difference because people can get together very quickly and they can gather just like we are and have a glass of wine and, and solve some of the problems that we've talked about at the kitchen table. We can create our own kitchen table. So I want to encourage any of your listeners to think about the special aspects of living in a rural area where you really do know your neighbors and you do know what's going on and you can make certain changes that are much more difficult to do in an urban area such as San Francisco and the sprawling Bay Area. And I've certainly seen West Company's impact in Mendocino from when I went came up, you know, like 20 years ago or 30 years ago, and then I came up 10 years ago and I saw, you know, just thriving small businesses and, you know, real energy on the street. It, the it does take a lot of that community engagement that both of you are talking about of, you know, people of all different ages, uh, you know, male and female. And we recently, Wes was recently involved as project management of a economic uh, resiliency planning uh, that we led and gathered the community together to talk about the plan. So it, it's exactly what you're saying, uh, Serena, where people who are in the community know the challenge and they know the solution. Now the challenge yeah. is how do you help them implement that solution? That's, you know, that becomes the really hard nut because not only is it a learned skill to kind of get that, but oftentimes implementing the solution requires funding, resources, you know, connections, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, but I have hope, I mean, I think, thank you for bringing that up, uh, Claudia, is that in our rural economy, and I think, I don't want to say this, but I think COVID has sped that up. You know, the urgency has been mm -hmm. sped up for everyone it's you know it's it's like i mean i say you know mendocino became technical when COVID hit because we all had to it was our it was the way we could connect so everybody became more tech savvy at whatever level they are so i think COVID, and i'm hopeful that it brings forth opportunities um, yeah, one of the things that we were always concerned about is, you know, the drain of young people from rural areas into the urban areas. And now that you can work remotely and you can do consulting work remotely, um, there is more of an opportunity, I think, even within your community colleges and the colleges located in rural areas to, um, I would really recommend uh, ratcheting up your entrepreneurial training for people from high school even, junior high mm -hmm. and high school and college, to get these ideas percolating so people will want to stay in the in the region and and enrich it with their talents. Uh, to me, absolutely. when I was at Cameo, I was always 
inspired much more by what was going on in rural economies. They were just more creative. They were, you know, the stewardship tourism, for example, um, just ways of kind of collaborating. Sometimes people had to get over, you know, like generations of family feuds to sort of start talking to each other, but that's kind of West's uh, part of their responsibility is to do that. Uh, and just sometimes just helping people do their bookkeeping and and get empowering people you know financially to be able to make good decisions that you can do that i found in rural areas to be much more um creative there's a, a lot of innovation happening in rural areas that people mm -hmm. overlook sometimes right. because we're we have such few population density less population density and um but the innovations are there mm -hmm. and um we, we have some phenomenal successes and stories uh right. to tell even during covid which is and, and my, at the same job. time, I do think that there's a lot of infrastructure to be built up. And so, for example, right. um, Claudia Broadband Internet up in the Mendonoma Coast is not that widely accessible. And there's a community <laughs> close to where I live um, of low-income families that did not have broadband internet. And so how do you engage in distance learning with your kids right. Right. who can't right. go to school without internet? And so the community rallied. Um, and in a short amount of time was able to, you know, get broadband internet into this low income housing community. But at the same time, you know, you don't have cell service in different parts of the, the, you know, the counties here, Sonoma or Mendocino. And, um, that's a real problem when it comes to issues that, um, women and, you know, you know, other, maybe some men are dealing with too. So for example, during the pandemic, we know that, um, Domestic violence rates spiked by 40 to 80% in every one of California's 58 counties. And so if you're living in a rural area where you don't have cell service or internet and you can't access resource resources, it's a real problem. And I know that there are efforts to connect coastal California to broadband internet. Um, and that I just think is so important to give people sort of like that equal access to resources. Absolutely. Well, I was going to just pop in. I know we have a, just a couple of seconds left, but I want to pop in and say one of my roles on behalf of Women's Business Centers, and which I'd like to see more of this, is to tell those stories of innovation, tell those inspiring stories, which don't get into major media as much as they should, and um, that we're hoping to be able to invest more funding into public relations and branding for women entrepreneurs. Absolutely. So we have just a few minutes left. Any closing suggestions or recommendations for our audience as far as what they can do, where they could do outreach, who they could contact to help and support on some of these? Just a brief statement. If any ideas? I would just say to people, particularly during this time of isolation, you're not alone and you have peers who are running their businesses, you have West Company, you have a whole array of um, advisors that you can draw upon to use use your network and um, or if you don't have it or you're shy, work with groups like your Women's Business Center to get that network of support Great. for yourself. Thank you. Serena? Yeah, 100% agree with Claudia. I think there are so many organizations and resources out there. So, um, you know, West Business Center, Claudia's organization, Women's Foundation California, we have a vast network. Um, we fund hundreds of organizations across the state. And so if you're looking to get involved in any way, and that can look, you know, any number of ways, whether you want to give money, you want to give time, you want to give resources, there's a lot of organizations that you can connect with and I would just point people to our site womensfoundca.org um, and you can you know see the vast network that we have across the state. Great, thank you. You've been listening tonight to the New Normal Radio Hour. This concludes our three-part series on celebrating Women's History Month. I'm Marianne Petrillo, CEO of West Business Development Center. We're proud to be a support network for small businesses in Mendocino and Lake County, providing free business advising and training. I want to thank these amazing and energetic women who have joined me tonight for the past hour on the importance of investing in women. Claudia Vick, founder of Women Entrepreneurs Initiative, and Serena Khan, CEO of the Women's Foundation of California. 
As always, it's a delight to be your host this evening and to serve this extraordinary business community uh, in Mendocino and Lake County. Thank you for listening to our community-sponsored radio here at KZYX. You can find an archive of this show and all of our programming online at jukeboxkzyx.org or on our homepage at kzyx.org. I want to also mention that you can reach out to West Business Development Center by contacting us at 707-964-7571 or check out our website, and that's westcenter.org. Many thanks tonight to our engineer, Eddie Hale, and we look forward to doing this once again and visiting with all of you. Thank you again, Claudia and Serena. Greatly appreciate the conversation and continue the fantastic work that you're doing. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.